Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. So good morning, Christ Fellowship. Oh, come on. I'm definitely on. I hear myself. Woo! We are going to dive in today to an amazing book, a crazy book, the book of Ezekiel. And since January, we've been traveling through the Old Testament, and we've been taking a journey from Genesis all the way now up to Ezekiel. And the last couple of weeks, we've been focusing in on the major prophets, right? So we talked through Isaiah, we did Jeremiah and Lamentations last week, and today we're going to spend some time digging in to Ezekiel. And so if I can have my quick facts up uh, behind me, just a couple of things so you know a little bit about it before we just kind of dive in deeper. So this particular book is a book of prophecy. It is filled with prophecy, complicated prophecy. In fact, many people, many rabbis actually do not study the book of Ezekiel until they're about 30 years old because this thing is muy complicado, see? And so the book of Ezekiel has 48 chapters. It's actually one of the longest books in the Bible. And it is written from 590 BC till about 570 BC. And it covers actually a really long time. It starts with the second exile, and it takes us all the way through into the end times. So that's a lot of time that we have to cover here today. But my friend here, my prophet Ezekiel, what his name means, and it's going to be really important that we remember this, is his name means God strengthens. And my friends, God certainly strengthened Ezekiel throughout his ministry, which was for 22 years. You see, Ezekiel was actually living in Jerusalem, and he left during the second exile. And he actually camped out in the refugee camp called Tel Aviv on the rivers of Kibar. And so he was there, and God really calls him in that river. And what we're going to find is that Ezekiel, he's like a little bit of a strange bird. He gets a lot of these typical visions that, you know, are just quite exceptional. And he is known as the performance prophet. So we're going to get a little started here this morning with a little bit of a performance, a little bit of acting. And so in our classes over the years, I've seen many of my students do something called a tableau. So we've invited to the stage some Ezekiel actors. And what they're going to do is they're going to present a tableau for you, which is a particular moment frozen in time. So they have no idea what they're going to be getting. Alex has these hot pink post-it papers over here. And they're going to be given a scene. They're going to have about 10 to 15 seconds to kind of get it together and plan. I'm going to count them down, and they're going to have to act this scene in a freeze frame. 
in a picture. And you, my friends here, will have the opportunity to guess what it is that they had. Again, the secret pink post-its have not been revealed. My friends, are we ready? Okay, so we're going to huddle out. Alex is going to present the first pink post-it scene. Quiet on the set. I'm really not going to give him a lot of time. And I'm going to count down now. Ready? And 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, scene. Freeze. And there should be a picture here that will happen. My friends, what is happening in this scene? Who said it over there? Yeah, I, I think my friend over here is, is, is getting jumped by, uh, and this one is filming, and I see video that's happening, and it's going live on social media right now. End scene, back group. Second, perfect. They did well. Remember, they don't know what's on the pink post-it note, my friends, my Ezekiel actors. Post-it number two, Alex, present. Should we give them a little less time? Because they did pretty good on that one. And 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, guys, 5, 4, 3, 2, scene. Oh. Oh, it's a freeze. Something's happening. What's, what's happening? What do you think? It's definitely in a barbershop. And let's look at their faces. How's that haircut coming along? Not so good. So scene is they're in a barbershop and they're getting all getting very, very bad haircuts. Excellent job. Do we have the picture, Alex? Very nice. They're doing very well. The last and the final scene, probably the hardest one on this post-it. Let's see what you guys can do for me here. Uh, so Alex will be presenting the third hot pink post-it. Maybe I'll give him a little more time. I don't know. And 10... Nine, not really. Eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, and scene. Okay, so what do you think? Where are they? They're at a barbecue. Yes, you're a great Caesar. They're at a barbecue, and what's happening in the barbecue? Somebody's grilling. Hold on, I'm going to go over here to my friend. Is he having some problems? Are you okay? You can't talk to me. Is this person okay? What is it? Yeah, I think there's a whole lot of vomiting. Maybe some other bathroom uh, things might be happening after this barbecue. But yes, the scene is massive food poisoning is happening at your local barbecue. Excellent job. Do we have the picture, Alex? Let's give our Ezekiel actors a round of applause. That was actually really, really good. Great job, guys. You can go off the stage. So Ezekiel, like I said, um, was a strange bird. He was a performance prophet. But before we actually get into the book of Ezekiel, I need to set the stage for where we are and why we're here. So if I can have our journey, Israel's journey up behind me. And so again, what's been happening over the course from January to now is we've been studying the Old Testament, and we know that we had at one point a united kingdom, right? We had Israel that wanted a king. There was King Saul, and then there was King David. Thank you so much, Alex. And then there was Solomon. 
And Solomon, really wise king, but had a couple of, not a couple, thousands of wives, yes? And um, things didn't go so well for Solomon. And so his heart became divided. And as a result, the kingdom became divided. We have Israel, 10 tribes that went up there. They were involved in things that were no bueno, idol worship. They were worshiping the god Molech. There was child sacrifices that were happening. And so what happened, like a big Pac-Man, we have Assyria that came, conquered Israel, and they are in captivity. Go down to Judah. Judah, they did a little bit better. So they had some kings that actually followed God's decree. They, They actually brought down some of the idols in the temple. But they still, their hearts were still not turned to God. And so we learned last week that we had Jeremiah that was literally in the streets. And he was telling the people, repent, repent, because the temple's coming down. And so the people of Israel, unfortunately, after many, many warnings, did not heed the call. And so here we have Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is part of one of the exiles. And so for us to review, if I can have the next slide up in front um, of, of, of the folks here, is we actually had three exiles that left as a result of the sin that was going on and the conquering of the Babylonian kingdom in Jerusalem. So the first exile that went was in 605 B.C., And our friend that we're going to study, Daniel, actually next week, he leaves Jerusalem and he goes to Babylon. And we're going to be here about his story. He actually goes into the courts of King Nebuchadnezzar, the one that is actually now planning to destroy Jerusalem. And his story is amazing. So I'm not going to preview it for right now, but check next week when Pastor Carlos teaches on this. Um, And if you've been to our amazing event last week, you already know amazing things are going to happen. So moving to the second exile, we have Ezekiel. And so one of the things that we know about Ezekiel is that he was a priest. He had been living in Jerusalem. He has been studying the Torah. And now he is moving from his home into Tel Aviv. Now, before we get to actually what happened in his life, I want to give you like a timeline of the books of Ezekiel. Remember I said there's 48 chapters, and there's a lot of moving pieces that happen in that. So if I can go to the timeline slide, that would be great. And let's talk a little bit about what is happening in the book of Ezekiel. All right, I can start timeline slide. No, 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 the one before. That's the one. Awesome. So we go to chapters one to seven. Remember, Ezekiel's a priest. He's actually going to be called as a prophet in these first chapters. But because he's a priest, many of his images, the things that he's concerned about, revolve the temple. And so you're going to see chapters eight through 11 really focusing on what's happening in the temple in Jerusalem. And then we get to the red section of the book. This is like a very um, hard section of the book. And this is when there's judgment. And God begins to tell Ezekiel through different ways on how to communicate this, that Jerusalem will be judged and that there will be judgment on the nations. Now, remember, we're in the second exile. 
The third part is when Jerusalem's temple is actually going to come down. And so during this, this red section here, Ezekiel is prophesying to the exiles and kind of saying, folks, we got to get it together. We have Jeremiah in Jerusalem saying, folks, we've got to get it together. Turn your hearts. The temple's coming down. And what happens? The temple does come down, 586 B.C. And what's so beautiful about the next part or the next chapters of Ezekiel is that God doesn't stop there. He gives us some messages of hope, and he gives Ezekiel visions of hope and visions of a new temple and a new Jerusalem. So if we go to the next slide, God speaks very clearly through Ezekiel, through visions. And many times throughout the book, God calls Ezekiel a watchman, okay? So Ezekiel is a watchman. And so let me just paint a little bit of a picture of what a watchman is during this time. So a watchman would stand up at the tower of the city, and he would see what happens in the land. And he would be looking to see if there would be enemies that would be coming to take the city down. And then he would stand and he would proclaim to those that need to, hey, so-and-so was coming from the west, so-and-so was coming from the east, so that they would be fortified and protected. So God calls him a watchman, not a prophet. It's a different kind of lens. And the reason why I think that's a perfect example for what Ezekiel does is Ezekiel is a seer and a speaker of God. And so when we begin to, to study the Bible in Samuel, actually the first word for prophet is found in Samuel. And Samuel is called a seer. The word is ruah, okay? He's called a seer. He sees visions and he tells the visions. And then as we move through the Bible, there's another word that the Hebrews use, which is called nebi. And that is a person that is a spokesperson for God. It's like the, the word of God actually comes in them, bubbles out, and they have to speak. And a watchman does just that. They see, and then they bubble, and they speak out. And so Ezekiel gets a series of several very, very detailed images. He sees them with his very own eyes, and he tells the people what's about to happen. And so there's a lot of great imagery. There's a lot of great pieces. We're not going to be able to spend time on all of the six main visions, but I'm going to take you through three of them. I'm going to take you through the first throne vision, the second temple vision, and the hope, the valley of the dry bones here this morning. So I'm going to set you up. I highlighted three things for you. And so seen, we are on the river Kibar, and we're going to open our Bibles to the first chapter in Ezekiel, chapter 1. And let's see where we are. It says, in my 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kibar River, the heavens opened and I saw visions of God. And on the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi by the Kibar River in the lands of the Babylonians. And there the hand of the Lord was on him. So we learned a couple of things. 
He's very detailed in Ezekiel. I mean, this guy, we can actually find exact dates. This is July, right? This is July. We know it's on the fifth day. He is 30 years old. That means five years ago, he was 25 in Jerusalem. He's now 30 years old. He's sitting right by the river Kibar. Think about it as like you're in like Warren Echo Park, kind of like by the lake. And he's just kind of sitting there contemplating his life. You know, he's thinking about what happens next. You know, this is not his home. He's in a refugee camp. And he's, he's in this river, and he's been completely displaced from his family. We even think that maybe his wife is back in Jerusalem at this time. And he's sitting there pondering kind of like, what's next? And the interesting part about this particular thing is that it's his 30th birthday, And we know that he had been studying to become a priest. Now, the priest learns all the rituals in the temple. The temple is where? Is the temple in the exile? No. The temple is in Jerusalem. So my friend Ezekiel is out of a job. He doesn't have a career anymore. He studied all this time, and now he's here in the exile, and it's like, what do I do? I mean, have you ever been in a place where you've worked for something and now all of a sudden that door is closed and, you know, you don't know what to do? Or, like, what if the rules were changed on something? Let's say, like, you know, you're, you're 16 years old, you're trying to get your license, right, and you're ready to go to take the test, and it's like, oh, just kidding, you got to be 22 to take the test. What? 22, I got to wait a couple of years? It's like this is what's happening on the Reaver keyboard, and he's just kind of sitting there like, You know, nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Like, he's singing those things. And then, and then what happens? Wait a minute. So then the heavens open up, and God's, like, massive chariot comes in and appears on the banks. And I can't go through all of this crazy imagery, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a taste of what it happens here. So let's start at verse 4. So he's sitting on the banks, and he says, I looked, and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf, and gleamed like burnished bronze. I'm going to move to to verse 10. You see, their faces looked like this. Each of them had four, each of the four had the face of a human being. And on the right side, it had the face of a lion. And on the left side, it had a face of an ox. And also each had a face of an eagle. Such were their faces. And each had two wings spreading upwards, each wing touching that of the creatures on either side. And each had two wings that were covering its body. And so Ezekiel begins to see the model of a chariot kind of. They've got four big angels. They've got four faces, right? You've got a lion. You've got an ox. You've got an eagle. You've got a man. You've got four wings. And so for our Bible friends, if, you, if we take a look back in during the, the time of the wilderness when the Ark of the Covenant actually was leaving, we had the 12 tribes, and they were with the Ark of the Covenant in the center, 
and we had three tribes in the front, three tribes in the back, three tribes here in the west and the east, and each of them had an emblem of what? A man, an ox, a lion, and an eagle. So it's like the Ark of the Covenant symbolism is also happening here. But then, but then, this is kind of like my favorite part, because we then get to see the wheels that this chariot has, and they're, they're pretty amazing. So if we go to Ezekiel chapter 15 um, again and read about this, it says, As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. And this was the appearance and the structure of the wheels. They sparkled like topaz, and all four of them looked alike, and each of them appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. So it was like one wheel this way, and then like another wheel this way. And as they moved, they would only go in one of the four directions the creature faced. So they would go forward, they would go backwards, they would go left, they would go right. Can I get the wheels up here? Because, you know, I'm reading this, but so many people have tried to kind of um, put this together. And you know what was really awesome about the wheels? is that they had eyes. The Bible tells us here that their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. My friends, God's chariot had rims. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, those rims were spitters. He had the first spitters that were out there. I am so excited. So many of you do not know but my girl likes me some rims, okay? We went shopping for my car. There was the version of the Jeep Cherokee that had the 18-wheel rims, and then there was the version that had the 20-inch rims. And so Carlos is there. We're looking around, and, you know, he's like, version A? And I'm like, nope, 20-inch rims. And he looks at the guy, and he's like, my girl's gangsta. And so God's gangster, he's coming in on these amazing rims. And the Bible then, um, Ezekiel then begins to see a throne that's on top of these angels and these rims. There is a beautiful rainbow that goes about in front of him. There's lightning, there's fire, there's a whole lot of stuff that's going on. But basically, if I can have the next image I mean, I don't really even know how to explain it, but this is a, a, an artistic depiction of what it may have looked like to have this pull up on the banks of the Warrenacre Park Lake, right, on your 30th birthday, and here he is, you know, God himself has come to meet Ezekiel and call Ezekiel. So what's interesting, remember, he's a priest, God's spirit, the Shekinah glory, doesn't leave the temple. In the Old Testament, right, it was, if you were not pure, you were not allowed to go in the temple, right? God's presence was in the temple. Well, now God's presence is visiting him by the Warnake Lake, and he's here during a time in his life where he's just kind of down and out, and God appears to him. And what does he say? Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 4. He calls him. He says to him, son of man, stand up on your feet. I'm going to speak to you. And as he spoke, the spirit came into me, and it raised me to my feet. And I heard him speaking to me, and he said, son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation. 
that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Ladies and gentlemen, they're, they're lunos. They are hard. Say to them, this is what the Lord says. And whether they listen or they fail to listen, for they're rebellious, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, he says to him, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of their words. Do not be afraid. So Ezekiel, will stop there, received a very, very, very hard call. He was called to prophesy to a very stubborn nation. In fact, they hadn't been listening to God for quite some time. And ladies and gentlemen, many times God calls us to some very hard places. Ezekiel was called to prophesy to very obstinate, stubborn people. And sometimes we can't even deal with the person next to our cubicle that's not, you know, too friendly, right? God gives us, each and every one of us in this room, watching on the live stream, a call. And ask Ezekiel, the lesson in this is to be obedient to God no matter what the cost. That's going to be our first lesson. So God calls us, called Ezekiel to a life of obedience. And ladies and gentlemen, did he have to obey? I'm going to get there in a minute. And he was obedient no matter what. I mean, my friends, Ezekiel's wife died. And God told him, do not mourn her. He had to stand up and prophesy even though his wife had just passed away. There were things that he was told to do that he did because the spirit of God was in him, strengthening him. And so the second lesson is just like God has equipped Ezekiel, God has equipped us for what he wants us to do on this world, in this earth, in this church, in this city, in your job, in your family. He will equip you. Second lesson. God will prepare us. He is a faithful God. And in fact, God spoke to Ezekiel in in a way that was familiar to him. He speaks to us in a language that we understand. And what he told Ezekiel about his call is that he's going to make him stronger. He's going to give him strength. In Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 7, it says, But the people of Israel, they're not willing to listen to you because they're not willing to listen to me. For all of the Israelites are hardened and they're obstinate. But I will make you as unyielding and as hardened as them. My friends, he said, I will make your forehead like the hardest stone there is. Harder than the flint. Do not be afraid. He says, you're going to beef up your forehead. It's going to get that face in. He's going to make you stronger than those that are fighting against you. He's going to give you strength. He spoke to Ezekiel like, like no other. And so God has wired us and equipped us, and he will not fail to strengthen you, even in the most difficult situations. And so back on scene, back in the exile in the refugee camp of Tel Aviv, 
we have Ezekiel that begins to communicate to the people what's about to happen in Jerusalem. And like I mentioned, Ezekiel was a performance prophet. Think about it like street theater. Like if you go into New York City and you're on 42nd Street and you see the guy, you know, kind of like standing frozen, you know, and there's a message behind it. That's how God used Ezekiel. And so there's so many different strange things that he did and asked Ezekiel to do to perform for the people. And so one of them, I've been wearing a book bag this whole entire time. Are you wondering why I'm wearing a book bag? Why is this? It's really hot up here. Got the lights. I got the book bag on. I've had this book bag since I walked in the door. One of them is that he had to take a book bag, a knapsack, and walk through the city. Walk through the city. Walk through a tunnel. And God told him, hey, make sure maybe the people are going to see that knapsack on your back. And that's going to tell them that they're going to have to leave Jerusalem, that they're going to have to leave in exile. And it's going to be a heavy burden for them to move and be in a land that is not their own. So he did that day in, day in. There's a whole scene there uh, giving him exact details of what that knapsack had to be. But the people didn't notice. Maybe you noticed because I'm on stage, but maybe if I was sitting in there, you probably wouldn't have noticed that I had a book bind on. Or maybe. He had other things. Let me get my book bag out so that I could put it down. Let's see what else I got in here, my little, my little bag of fun. So I have a pan. Hold on. I got some army men. And I've got clay. Got to put this down. Woof! It's hot up here. So God told Ezekiel, going to get the clay out, to take some clay. Here it is. There we go. And make it, it to look like Jerusalem. Now, that's going to be a little hard for me. You know, we've got a temple going on here. I don't know. This, this is going to be Jerusalem right here. Okay. And then he said to use ramparts and sticks and to, I'm going to get these army men, and to emulate a siege. So I got my friends here all the way around. And he was to stand outside. And he was supposed to reenact. Here we go. I'm only going to just do one line. I mean, these things, they were all over. There were ramps. There's specific directions in the book of Ezekiel. I mean, he doesn't mess around, this, this God, with Ezekiel. And he was supposed to get an iron pan, okay? And he was supposed to pretend that the city was going to get jumped by all of the Babylonians. Just like our scene from our Ezekiel actors this morning, where they were jumping my friend over here, Chris. Poor Chris. So he was, let's give him a round of applause. I could put this here. So that was one thing that he had to do in front of the people so that they would see that this was coming. Not only was his words um, able to prophesy, but he was using his actions. You want to see what else I have in my little um, bag of fun over here? All right. Well, 
I've got a Barbie. Here's my little Barbie. And I got a pair of scissors. Okay. And so Ezekiel was told by God to cut his hair, literally, shave his entire head and beard. Now, I was never allowed, ladies and gentlemen, as a child, to ever think about, even think about getting a pair of scissors and touching my Barbie's hair. These were very expensive growing up, and so I had to take care of them. But for the sake of the message, let's just, you know, we have our barber shops getting really bad haircuts over here. So, so I'm going to start to cut the dolls. I just even, this makes me feel so nervous. Oh, my goodness. So, so Ezekiel was told, my friend has a new haircut, to take a third of the hair and burn it, which was going to symbolize that Jerusalem was going to be burned. I'm going to put that here because I'm not going to put fire on the stage. Do not worry, Carlos. I will not bring out any, any lighters. <laughs> then he was to take another third and used a sword to cut his hair off. And this was supposed to show that Jerusalem was going to be taken by sword. And then last, he was supposed to take the third of his hair and just, sorry, Riley, woo! <laughs> scatter it, because Jerusalem, a third of Jerusalem's people were going to be scattered to the nations, to Babylon, to Assyria. And he had to do that into the square. The man was bald. If that's not enough, my friends, this is a rough one. So I'm going to give myself a little space here. So Ezekiel was asked, I'm going to take this out because I'm going to need it in a little bit. He was asked to lay on his side. All right, I'm going to do it. I got white pants on. Lay on his side. How long do you think he had to lay on his side for? Anyone read the book? 390 days. He was supposed to get wrapped up in rope, symbolizing the day of atonement for Israel's sin. And for each day that he was supposed to lay on his side, it would be a year of their sin. So 390 days for that northern Assyrian kingdom my little hip bone connected over here is having a little bit of a tough time. And then he was supposed to, hold on, go on the other side. And for 40 days, for 40 years, to make atonement for Judah's sins. But you think that's enough, right? My hips are already hurting. There's more to the story. So Ezekiel had to eat this bread. And so this is from Whole Foods, ladies and gentlemen. There is something called Ezekiel 4-9 bread. If you haven't had it, I haven't tried it. So I can't give you any references. I will tell you I will stick to my Portuguese rolls with butter. I am not sure I'm going to try this. But this is made from wheat Barley, beans, lentils, millet, and spelt. I don't even know what spelt even is. And Ezekiel was told to mix all of this in a jar and make the bread. Does anyone else know what, what he had to cook the bread on? Pastor Debbie, what does he have to cook the bread on? Yes. Well, first, first God tells him 
that he is to cook the bread over human poopy. Now, I was going to bring icy poopy here. I mean, um, Willow poopy. Carlos said that's a little too much, Jen. You were going a little overboard. But he, he was asked to, to, to cook the bread over human excrement, which was going to symbolize the bad food, the stench, the filth that Israel had been in. And he said, well, time out, God. I'm a priest. You know, I, I, keep, I keep the rules here of, 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 of the temple. And God said, all right, I'll work with you. Cow poop. And so cow manure it was. And two years and three months, he stood there in the city square, laying on his side, showing the exiles what's to come. He also became mute for several years. There's so much. I can't even get into the whole section. His bizarre behaviors, his actions all told a story, a story of God's judgment that would come if Israel would not repent. And so the third lesson that I have from Ezekiel is be an illustration of God's message. And really, maybe it should be a question. Are you an illustration of God? Not just at home, not just at work, at the gas station, on the parkway, right? Is your life like a picture, like we saw our actors here, depicting God's message every day? Is our actions, our words, a story of God's love and redemption? Is it? The lesson is make sure that it is, but really it's more of a question. And when somebody's life is a full testimony of God's grace and love, you know that that changes the atmosphere of a room. It changes the atmosphere of a conference room. It changes the atmosphere of a medical space, of a hospital bed. It changes the atmosphere of that space. God's presence comes, he ministers, and he moves. And many of you know people like that when they come the atmosphere changed because they are the fragrance of Christ walking into that room. I had the pleasure, and I've got to make sure I can get through this, of knowing a friend, a friend of mine that just recently passed away, Annie Rooney. And she was this. She was the fragrance of Christ. I happened to see it firsthand because I worked with her for eight years. And when there would be someone that would call that needed, that that their voice sounded frustrated, God would give her a word for that person. It doesn't matter who they were, political person, a principal, a teacher, and she would prophesy into their life. There was someone with a problem. It doesn't matter what her, her job was. She came in and she prayed with them. She changed the atmosphere of the room just like Ezekiel did as he walked in and displayed what God wanted to do. Are you, is your life an illustration of God's love and God's message? I implore you, let it be.
let it be. Because those that are committed to God, God, he strengthens, he inspires, he calls, he equips. But those that are not, there's judgment. And so I'm going to take you to the second vision that Ezekiel saw. And that chariot came in one more time. And this time it was like a virtual field trip. That chariot went into the temple in Jerusalem. So he's, Ezekiel's in the exile. He's on the banks of the river Kibar. And the chariot, he sees a vision of the chariot in the temple. And what does he see there? He sees a mess, ladies and gentlemen. He sees outside the temple and inside the temple, there is idols that are risen up and erected to the gods of Asherah and Baal. You've got the elders of the community that are bowing down to these gods of fertility. In fact, they say they're worshiping the sun god and their backs were exposed. There are the ladies in the temple that are worshiping the god, the Babylonian god of Tammuz, a fertility god. And there is prostitution in the temple. And God's spirit is moving in and seeing this. Ezekiel is watching as the chariot is kind of going through. And God says, enough. Enough. So a spirit, the chariot, actually in the vision, leaves the temple. It departs the temple. In fact, in the scriptures, it says that the Lord went up from within the city, stopped above the mountain, east of it, and the spirit lifted me and brought me to the exile. So the chariot moves in to where he is. The, he, the chariot leaves the temple. And so, again, when we go through the book, we start to understand God's heart. God cannot be grieved. He cannot be in a place where there's sin. He cannot be in a place where there's unholiness. And God left that temple. And so in chapter 22, I noticed a verse there that at first I skipped over. And then it was like almost like it illuminated itself from the page when I was reading the book. And the verse is Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. And so this is after the chariot has left the temple. It says, I was looking, I was looking for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of Israel. He's talking about an intercessor. I'm going to read it again. I was looking for someone that will stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land of Israel. So I wouldn't have to destroy it. But I found, what does it say? No one. I didn't find a prayer warrior out there that was willing to go to the throne room of God to advocate for repentance. He found no one. And ladies and gentlemen, this, this brings, this illuminated for me such a powerful principle. Prayer changes things. We know this, but do we believe it? 
God was looking for it. The power of a faithful man would change much, but he found no one. I know every morning we meet Pastor Debbie at 7 in the morning. We have our prayer time. I challenge you, ladies and gentlemen, to get up and pray. Intercede, not just on the things for you, the things of God. And there will be powerful, powerful change. He was looking for that. It seems so improbable that that the prayer of a devoted man could change God's mind. But there's many examples in the Bible where that just happens. And so God is searching today for prayer warriors. I'll leave you with that. Let's go back to what's happening in Ezekiel. So the next series of chapters, that after the the, the temple um, vision happens, we see that he continues to warn the people. And we get to chapter 33. That's what I told you before. That's like the climax. And you, you find a scene where this man comes running from Jerusalem it's, a, it's about 900 miles, 720 to 900, depending on where you are. Very, very far. He comes from Jerusalem to where he is in exile, and he tells Ezekiel, the city has fallen. And so the unthinkable has actually happened. What Ezekiel has been prophesying, what Jeremiah had prophesied, what Isaiah had prophesied to Judah, actually came true. And boy, oh boy, I mean, we study this. It was a bad scene. Nebuchadnezzar comes in. He sieges the city, breaks down the walls, right? Captures the Israelites. The things that happen to the, to the, to the thirds of the hair all happens. The temple is burned. The temple is pillaged. All of the gold and the silver is taken out and moved into Babylon. You're going to find out in Daniel what happens to all of that silver and gold in the courts, right? They're taken out. You have King Zedekiah's sons that are literally murdered. Their eyes are gouged out in front of him. I mean, it is a terrible, terrible situation. Judgment has come to Jerusalem. And so you think this is like where the story kind of like stops. Like, you know, like you're back on the river and, and, and maybe, you know, for many of us, we, 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 we are here. You know, we're in this place where, you know, there, there really is no hope. And, you know, we've all been there in our lives. We've all been there, you know, where maybe there is an addiction or there's something going on in your family or a death of a loved one and you just can't get out of it, you know. And God tells us in, in his word that we have to stir up our own zeal sometimes. And, and we have to tell ourselves, um, like Jeremiah, to, to worship the Lord, you know. Um, but this is where they are. They're, they're, they're in a bad place. And maybe they're questioning God or they're, you know, uh, misunderstanding what he's saying, you know. Um, but God's heart has been very clear, very clear throughout the scriptures. God's heart is for his people to turn to him. That's what he wanted. And if you didn't, there was this path. And if you did, there was this path. And so the key verse in this particular area of the scripture, I'm going to call it the climax of the story in chapter 33, is if I could have the key verse up in front of me, the Lord says, say to them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, 
the sovereign Lord. I take no pleasure. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But rather that they turn from their ways and I want them to live. That's his heart. That's God's heart. Turn, he says. Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? He wants the repentant heart. And what we see from chapter 33 on is a message of hope. In fact, what's really awesome about God's word is that it is consistent. So even though Jeremiah and Ezekiel may have not known each other or worked together, they almost said the same exact thing to the people. So if you were uh, paying attention to Pastor Diana's message, she used this as one of her key scriptures. And there is almost exact verbiage verbatim um, to what Jeremiah said, to what Ezekiel said to the people in, in, in um, exile. He says this in chapter 36, verses 25 through 28. He says, he, he says that there's grace. I will sprinkle clean water on you, says the Lord, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I'm going to cleanse you, says the Lord. And I will give you a new heart. Have you heard that before? I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you, within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You see, because you're going to dwell in the land that I gave your fathers. You're here in exile now. You're in a really rough place right now. But I'm promising you that you're going to come back. And you're going to be my people. And I'm going to be your God. That is the new covenant that he tells the people. And so, again... The story changes because there is hope. One, there is hope because we have Jesus. That judgment that happened on Jerusalem, that judgment would have been on us if it wasn't for the Son of God taking those sins on that cross. We have grace through Jesus Christ. But God gives us redemption in him. And what I love about Ezekiel is he brings Ezekiel to such a place that is a place of desperation, a place of no hope, a place of, of deadness. He actually brings him into a valley that is filled with thousands and thousands of dead and dry bones. So you say, okay, Ezekiel's bringing him into this valley here. Um, why would he, you know, bring him to a valley of dryness? And so, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes it's where in, when we are in our driest and most desperate places that we need God to speak. And God speaks and we listen. And so Ezekiel is brought into this scene that I'm going to read to you. And it is, for me, one of the most powerful images 
that God has given him in, 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 many, in many places in the Bible. I, I see this, and it's just astounding what the symbolism means and what it physically could mean. And so I should have behind me chapter 37. It says, The hands of the Lord was on me, and he bought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full. It was full of bones. And so he led me back and forth among the bones, and I saw great many bones on the floor of this valley, bones that were very, very dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? If I was Ezekiel, I don't know. Can these bones live? God, I don't think so. They're dead bones. They've been here a long time. So what does Ezekiel say? I say, sovereign Lord, you alone know if these bones can live or not. Then he said to me, Ezekiel, he said to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones. Man of faith, prophesy to these dead things and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach to you tendons and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And so Ezekiel did that. He prophesied as he was commanded. And as he was prophesying to those dead bones, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones began to come together, bone to bone. I looked, said Ezekiel, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and the skin began to cover them. But there was no breath in them. And so he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath. This is what the Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied, said Ezekiel, as he commanded me. The man did what, the God, what God was telling him to do. He's prophesying to the breath. And breath entered them. They came to life, these bones, and they stood up on their feet. I mean, imagine this. A vast army in front of him. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are my people. They are the people of Israel. And he begins to tell them that he's going to put his spirit in them. And they're going to come back into the land. He's going to be God. And, and there is, again, I, I can't even imagine the presence of God and what that, what that would look like to see Israel, whose temple was destroyed, in exile, and him prophesying to those dead things that they will, they will come again and once again come back into the city. And the principle in this is no matter how bad things are, 
no matter what the addictions are, what the situation is, how dry things are, God can bring anything to life. Anything. That's our last lesson. God's breath, that same breath that breathed into Adam and made Eve breathe into these bones and rose them from the dead as an army of Israel, of God. Nothing, my friends, is impossible for God. It's like we serve the God with the rims, with the wheels. I mean, creator of the universe. I mean, we often make him so small. There's a song that says, I've made you too small in my eyes. Oh, Lord, forgive me because I've believed in a lie that you are unable to help me. We serve a God that actively breathes life into dead things. And that is amazing. And again, I can go on to the next section of these books. There is a, a beautiful vision that he gives of the new Jerusalem or new temple, where literally the temple is built again in the millennium, and there's a river that comes out of the temple into the Dead Sea. And as it's coming, trees are coming to life. The fish in the Dead Sea are, 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 are living again. He is a God that restores. He is a God that brings dead things to life. So we've learned a lot of things from Ezekiel. We have a lot of lessons that we can take home with us. He, first of all, Ezekiel had a crazy level of obedience. For him to do all of these things without even a but, he served, he spoke, he acted. He did not hesitate to follow God's call. Lesson one, be obedient to God no matter what the cost. No matter what the cost. And lesson two, God promises to equip you. He made Ezekiel's forehead a little bit stronger. He'll make your shoulders a little bit stronger. My friends, I didn't think I could be up here today. I had a really, really hard week. It's the last week of the school year. I didn't think I could come up here. But you know what? God, God strengthens you. He meets you in the middle of the night, and he gives you strength. My God is not too small. Trust him. Lesson three, be an illustration of God's message. Let your light shine in all places, right places, dark places, every place. Change the atmosphere of the room with God's love in your heart. Lesson four, pray. Do not neglect the discipline of prayer. Prayer changes things. Some of you may have gotten a bad report today or in the last couple of weeks, maybe a family member. Prayer changes things. We serve a mighty God 
We may not know. Our, our, our sight is limited. But he knows all things. And no matter what the situation is, good or bad in my very own eyes, I trust the God. The God of the forefathers, I trust that his plans are bigger than my own. So pray. It changes things. And last but not least, if you are feeling disconnected, if you are feeling disconnected from God, disconnected from the church, if you're busy with so many things and kingdom work and God work is not the first thing on your heart, maybe, like the folks in the temple, you have been chasing idols. There have been prostitution moments where your first love, God, has been sacrificed to other things. Have you prostituted God? There are dry places and dry valleys that we are all in at times. But the God, the God of Ezekiel, will strengthen you and you will find life in our Father and Son and Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with us. And so I've asked Harold to sing the song we sang this morning. And and you know, Harold, this, this is a rough one for me to have you sing because this song was sung at my friend Annie's funeral. And she believed in an amazing, faithful, powerful God. And we serve a wonderful God who is faithful no matter what. So if you are feeling dry, if you feel like you need more faith, The altar is open, and I'm going to have my friend sing what he sang today. And please, in your seats, come and ask the God that can bring those dry bones in that valley to life. He can can do that for you. So the altar is open. Come and worship our amazing king. Father God, Father God, you are too good. You are too good. You are too big to not believe that you can bring us from dead places, my God. You are too big to not believe. Father God, we thank you that we serve an amazing God. And today, my Lord, we ask that you breathe that your spirit breathes into the hearts, into the dry places of your people here today. We ask that you breathe and you bring life, that you resurrect those dry things, and that the situations in front of us, that we see, my Lord, through your hands and through your eyes, my Lord, that our perspective will shift because we know who stands behind us and who is within us, Lord. So we thank you for Ezekiel. We thank you for his boldness, my God. Increase our faith. 
and let us obey your will, your word, like he did, relentlessly, without buts, without hesitation, my Lord. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. Be well. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.